0: Hey, Ryan here, does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design, bring it to life.
1: For me, the true definition of AI are systems that can adapt themselves in production. And if I was being brutally honest, I haven't seen a single complex adaptive system in production in my life.
0: Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air IoT Connected Devices and the Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Very, and today we're joined by my very old friend Daniel Hume, CEO of Satalia, and we're going to be talking about real AI—not the AI everyone claims is AI, but real AI. Daniel, thanks for being on the show. Looking forward to it, Ryan. Cool. All right. So for those that don't know, would love a little background on Satalia, which you guys are up to. And also, uh, I think congratulations are in order. You guys have recently gone through an acquisition.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I actually uh, still wear two hats. I wear an academic hat. For 20 years, I've been researching AI. I run a master's program in UCL, which is one of the world's leading universities in, in AI. And now I'm currently an contra- entrepreneur in residence for UCL. So I help them take deep tech like DeepMind and spit it out. But I also am the CEO of Satalia. And about six months ago, we sold to WPP, which is one of the biggest media agency in the world. It's been a great decision. And we're continuing to scale Satalia inside WPP, but I'm also Chief AI Officer for WPP, responsible for AI across 120,000 people.
0: I could tell just by the delivery, you have given that self-introduction a few times. I'm really excited. So uh, for the listeners that don't know, Daniel and I have been friends for 15 years, been many years since we've talked. We went to Did some grad work together, went to the same grad school. Daniel, talk a little bit about, you know, so one of the things that drew me in, you posted, I think on LinkedIn, and you said something to the effect of 99% of what people are claiming is AI isn't actually AI. And this is one of the things that we hear a lot from people that are very close to the space is, hey, most of what's out there isn't actually artificial intelligence. Expand on that a little bit. For folks that are out there and they're seeing AI being advertised broadly, yeah, like the world according to Daniel, start from there. Real AI is, real AI isn't.
1: There are three categories of Technology that are currently being referred to as AI. I think that only really one of them is. Uh, the first one is getting computers to do things that humans can do. So things like chatbots, um, having machines recognise objects in images, doing things that traditionally humans humans can do is what people currently are calling. AI. And because humans are the most intelligent thing in the universe, when we get machines to do what humans do, we we assume that that's intelligence. Now, I would argue that humans are not intelligent, and that's a whole different podcast. But that's one category. Uh, The second category is essentially machine learning. We're able to now extract a very complex insights from large bodies of data and have the system be able to explain how those insights have come about and again unfortunately people are synonymizing and calling machine learning ai actually there's a much better definition of ai that comes from the definition of intelligence so instead of using human beings as a definition of intelligence there is a, a definition which i love which is goal directed adaptive behavior goal directed in the sense we're trying to make a decision behavior is how quickly we can make that decision but the key word in this definition is adaptive ultimately what we want to do is build systems that make decisions learn about whether those decisions are good or bad adapt their own understanding of the world so that next time they can make better decisions for me the true definition of ai are systems that can adapt themselves in production and if i was being brutally honest i haven't seen a single complex adaptive system in production in my life so actually i would argue that nobody's really doing ai right now
0: so What would you categorize what most people are calling AI? So let's talk about non-AI, okay? Is there a better definition for what that is?
1: If we look at the first one, chatbots, having machines automate human behavior. These are some of the flavors of things that are currently mm-hmm. being called AI. And these technologies are very good at removing humans from the loop. The second flavor, as I mentioned, which is quite popular is machine learning. Unfortunately, I would argue that companies don't have machine learning problems. Which I think we're going to see a bubble in AI where people think that machine learning is going to solve all of their problems. Companies don't have machine learning problems, they have decision problems. And decision making is a completely different field in computer science. You've got lots of companies that are hiring data scientists, machine learning experts, when actually they should be hiring decision scientists. And actually, again, I would argue there's less than 3,000 really strong decision scientists uh, around the globe. Uh, We should always start with the problem or the decision that needs to be made and then work backwards. What insights, what data do I need to help me make better decisions? So I think there's a misapplication, a mishiring of talent because companies are hiring essentially the wrong people to solve problems that they don't understand. But ultimately, what we want to do is build systems that can adapt themselves. And there's less than a handful of companies around the world that really understand how to make safe Systems that can adapt themselves in, in production. I don't know if you remember the Microsoft Twitter bot a few years ago. Microsoft launched a bot on Twitter. Lots of teenagers decided to tease that Twitter bot and it became a racist, sexist bot very quickly. That's what happens when you put systems in production that can adapt themselves, that they can adapt in ways that you can't predict. Um, so building safe, adaptive systems is extremely complicated. But ultimately, that's what organizations need to do to survive, to win. They need to be able to adapt more quickly than their counterparts. Being able to adapt more quickly it means that you're more intelligent.
0: So for listeners out there and, and our audience skews, you know, folks that are managers and executives at companies that make hardware, we are an IOT show. Walk us through a, for instance, of maybe I, I would try to quote you here. Uh, companies don't have machine learning problems. They have decision problems. What would be an example of like, you could just give us a, any, for instance, that comes to mind, a decision that they should work backwards from, and what that would look like, you know, in an optimized uh, setup. So these folks are saying, "Okay, Daniel, sure. I totally buy it. Paint me a picture."
1: Sure. So, so let's say we wanted to maximize the yield of our sales force. What the impulse is to use machine learning to to profile your customer based to identify people who are going to churn or you can cross sell to or upsell to and then assume that that solved your problem it hasn't solved your problem it's solved one portion of it what you then need to do is you need to use machine learning to profile your sales force so profile who's good at dealing with cross sell who's dealing with upsell who's dealing with churn and then you need to decide who are the right people to work on those opportunities and then just to give you some maths if i have 60 salespeople that I can allocate to 60 sales opportunities there are more combinations of allocating those 60 salespeople to 60 sales opportunities than there are atoms in the universe. Humans are good at solving problems up to about seven. If I have seven salespeople that need to allocate to seven sales opportunities, I've got about a thousand permutations. Beyond that, uh, it becomes very difficult for human beings to solve. Start out with a decision, which is I need to allocate salespeople to sales opportunities to maximize my yield, and then work backwards. Do I need to profile my customers better? Do I need to profile my um, salespeople better? But it all starts out with a decision problem.
0: So that makes sense. Talk to me a little bit about you know I mentioned this is an IOT show AI, uh, from the perspective of very is that's one of our four practices: hardware, software, data science, and design. Talk about from your view, the interrelationship between AI and IOT. I know this is something that like, that you have a lot of passion for. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so if you go back to the definition of intelligence, goal-directed adaptive behavior, um, what you want to do is learn from your decisions. And being able to learn from your decisions means being able to get access to data very, very quickly. And so IoT is absolutely fundamental in that. If I, for example, have a system that, routes, routes, vehicles to do deliveries. I want to be able to learn how long it's taken that vehicle to drive down that particular road, how long um, that particular driver has taken to deliver to that customer's house. So what I can use is IoT devices to be able to take that data, to profile the the characteristics of those those routes or routes, uh, and then learn, next time. The next time it takes another 14 seconds to deliver to that type of customer with that type of driver. So uh, IoT devices are fundamental in being able to capture data real time, have it go through the system, the system adapts so that next time it can, it, it can make better decisions.
0: As you look forward, what's something in, that, in like, that relationship between those two? You talked about the routing issue. What's a breakthrough that you think is just beyond the horizon line? Something that you're very excited about, that you think is realistic, maybe something that like uh, folks are not yet starting to talk about?
1: Because of COVID, more and more people are working from home. And uh, now that we're working from home, we are emitting a digital footprint, our zoom calls and our emails and what companies are are wanting to do is they're wanting to collect all of that data to essentially understand and profile you your relationship to other employees but obviously they only have a myopic view to you through the devices that you engage with and i suspect that over the next several years we're going to start to see more biometrics type devices that are linked to you your well-being at work so that companies can use that to help you essentially utilize you more effectively in in work i'm not talking about squeezing more out of you but to better understand you your work preferences your relationships your hopes your dreams desires so what we might start to see is the use of health iot devices to be able to actually inform and improve the working experience
0: follow-up question so that is Slightly terrifying. Well, let me just speak from the perspective of the United States. I think that (laughs) the average American worker would be wildly uncomfortable with their company having access to that. Uh, Let's not dive too deeply into politics today, I suppose. But like, do you think that there will be a strong enough value case, a case around the value there that employees say, look, if they understand then they're going to be able to cater more to my needs? It feels like that's a high bar.
1: These are really interesting ethical questions. And by the way, I, I have a controversial stance on AI, AI, AI ethics. I don't think there is such thing as AI ethics. But these are, these are interesting ethical questions because it depends on the intent to which I'm going to use that data. If my intention is to extract more from those employees, to utilize them more, then that can have an adverse effect. If my intent is to improve people's well-being at work, then actually people embrace it. And I know organizations where their employees are crying out for the the companies to use that data to help improve their well-being at work. The the example I sometimes like to use is like, imagine you're on the ethics committee of a ride-hailing company and you've deployed, uh, like an Uber, and you've deployed an AI to maximize profit, to essentially set surge prices. And the AI has realized that by accessing your battery data and your phone, when your battery is very low, you're willing to spend more money on your ride. Essentially, it's identified a vulnerability. You're vulnerable, and it's going to exploit that vulnerability. And so the intent is to exploit that vulnerability to maximize profit. If the intent was to use that data to prioritize you because you are vulnerable over other people, then people would be much more comfortable with that. So it doesn't matter about the data. It matters about the intended use of the data. And we need to hold our leadership, the companies accountable, to make sure that they're using that data in the most ethical way. There absolutely is a future where you can use this data to identify secret lovers in the company. You can, you can predict if people are going to leave the company before they know they're going to leave the company. We have to make sure that we're holding leadership accountable to using these, uh, this data in, in, in a way that's going to benefit, benefit the employees. And, and actually, those are the companies that are going to survive.
0: It feels like a high bar. I, I can't envision how that would work practically. I mean, I can see in people wanting to own this. You have some very strong views because you've been in this space for and very close to this space for a long time. But just from a privacy perspective, it's hard to imagine people being comfortable with that leap. Very curious to see how it actually plays out. Let's continue pushing this down. The, so like we're talking about the future, super intelligence, okay? I, I mentioned to you previously, most people will have seen the Terminator movies. You know, this is what's like, I think people's baseline understanding of super intelligence is Skynet. For your view, friend, enemy, what does this look like? How do we avoid the rise of the machines? Pick whichever piece of this uh, you want to start with and, and just go from there. This
1: superintelligence is often referred to as, as what is called a singularity. And, and singularity comes from physics, which is a, a point in, in time that we can't see beyond. And actually, by definition, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen if we, if we birthed uh, an artificial intelligence that was more intelligent than, than us. It's, it's very difficult to see beyond that point. Actually, I did a, a TEDx talk recently where I talked about six Different singularities of which the, this one, the superintelligence or technological singularity, is, is one of them. My concern is, is, that, is that it's predicted that this will happen within our lifetime, right? within the next. 30, 40, 50 years, uh, the prediction is that we are going to build a brain that is smarter than us in every single possible way. And it will become infinitely smarter very, very quickly. And it will be the last invention that we create. And nobody knows if it's going to be the most glorious thing that happens to us or our biggest existential threat. I am concerned that it is our biggest existential threat. And I think that if we are still fighting each other, over gdp if we're still fighting each other, each other over stuff this thing will probably see us as a threat and remove us from the equation so i have a i guess a goal over the next 40 years to try to figure out how can we get humanity cooperating as a species so that when this thing comes along it sees that we can cooperate and it leaves us alone
0: a related question you know we're talking okay continuing on this trend of questioning th- let's pull it back to the here and now a little bit. So, okay, you talked about the terrifying future. If not closely managed, it could be horrible. I think people will look back at 2022 and call this the year of the twin, the digital twin. You know, this seems like the year that that concept really broke out into the mainstream. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. So I, I imagine this is a topic you've been close to for many years. This probably seems old hat to you, I think for folks in the audience, they may only just be hearing digital twin for the first time or this year for the first time. Can you start with a baseline explanation of the concept of digital twin? And then maybe take us forward a little bit. Where is the like supreme value here? You know, some use cases that you think are very compelling, et cetera.
1: Absolutely. So if, if we look across a business, usually a you know, business is, a, is an amalgamation of people and process and tools. And we're using technology now to remove people from some of those parts of the, the process and and we, we can use for example technology to do last mile delivery we can do technology use technology to optimize our warehouses to track inventory to run marketing campaigns but actually what happens is that these individual points on the um, supply chain. Whilst they're optimized for that particular point, so last mile delivery or marketing campaigns, what they are not is optimized and orchestrated holistically. And what I mean by that is that is that you have marketing teams creating marketing campaigns that then puts pressure on the supply chain that then can't fulfill the customers. So you end up disappointing the customers. The aspiration of a digital twin is a simulation of the entire organization that allows you to run what if scenarios, what if I increase my uh, marketing or my, my demand over here? Will I be able to fulfill my customers? And if not, what do I need to change within my supply chain to make sure that I can fulfill my customers? So what digital twin is a digital rep- representation simulation of a company that allows you to proactively run simulations, identify bottlenecks and challenges that you can then optimize for, which I, you know is, is fantastic but what's exciting for me is that we can we can we can in, rather than in marketing informing supply uh, chain what you can do is identify capacity within the supply chain you can say i've got a vehicle in this warehouse over here i've got some extra stock over here i've got an employee that's in this retail outlet over here can i use that to be able to inform micro marketing campaigns so if i've got an extra employee in a retail outlet can i use marketing to drive more footfall to utilize that capacity so what digital twins allow us to do is to get much much smarter about removing inefficiencies to exploiting opportunities across an entire organization how are this links to ai is ai is used at the micro level being able to solve many of these frictions that exist across an organization. But AI can also then start to orchestrate and simulate and even make decisions about where uh, employees should be allocated to what stores, where infrastructure should be uh, placed, where what products should be purchased. You can actually have AI run entire organizations. And actually, the smarter the AI gets, the more likely we are to be able to achieve a super intelligence. So, actually, this impulse to make uh, smarter and smarter systems means that we are forcing ourselves to eventually build a super intelligence.
0: Stupid question. I've never thought of this before. If you have two copies, is it digital triplets? <laughs> That's a good
1: philosophical question. There are actually a couple of flavors of digital twin, which I think will converge. So one is a digital twin of of the, essentially the flow of goods across an organization from marketing all the way to fulfillment. But I just alluded to another digital twin, which is your workforce in capturing the profile of individuals, their, their skills, their relationships, their hopes, their dreams, desires. And what organizations are realizing is that they need to actually have a digital twin of their workforce to be able to better utilize them. And then, of course, workforce and goods and physical infra- infrastructure are intimately linked. But what we'll probably start to see over the next several years is a digital twin of your, of your physical infrastructure, a digital twin of your other assets, which is your workforce, and ultimately them, them two converging.
0: Okay, so Daniel, related question. What is the most that AI can know about you at the individual level? How do you think about that?
1: I think there was a a company a few years ago that was created that was called You Are What You Like. And, And by plugging into Facebook, it could profile you more accurately than your partner based on 200 likes on Facebook. So with relatively little information, you can get AIs to to profile you, your political preferences, your sexual leanings, all of this kind of stuff incredibly accurately. And as I said, we're starting to capture more and more of that data to understand people, world of work. But um, this is only going to exponentially in- increase as we start to look at the metaverse. The, the metaverse is probably a huge amount of hype at the moment, but this is going to come. And, and I think that brands... Brands and organizations need, really need to face into understanding their position and place in the metaverse. The metaverse is, is a multiple universe, they're, they, they're, it's a, whether it be games or virtual stores or social networks, all of these different universes that you can interact in. And what's unique about the, the concept of, of a metaverse is that there's a unified you. There's an avatar, a login that exists across all of these uh, different universes. There's persistent, so even if even if you die, there's still a digital you, and that digital you, that avatar, will. Know you better than yourself, and there is some hypothesis that that digital avatar will be making decisions on your behalf. It will be brands will be fighting for the attention not of you but of your digital avatars. It might be that there are you know scenarios in the future where you 're in your driverless car and you 're presented with a trolley problem if you don 't know if you know the trolley problem, but in, in front of you is a, a kid to the right or two adults and to the left is a cliff the car can 't stop who does the car kill now of course, uh, car manufacturers don't want to make the decision because they don't want to be liable, but there's a scenario where your digital avatar makes the decision for you based on your preferences. So it decides to kill the grandma over the cats because it knows you prefer cats. And so there's an interesting future where the physical you and the digital you are interacting in both the physical and digital worlds in, in
0: crazy new ways fascinating and uh this is i think the closest that we've ever come here at over the air to a black mirror episode <laughs> there is
1: actually a black mirror episode i don't know if you if you remember the black mirror episode where you've got the there's a dating episode where they have run multiple simulations of of dating to find your perfect partner there is a, an idea that your avatar can date millions of other avatars to find the perfect match for you
0: the concept and episodes that really terrify me on black mirror are the ones where the digital version of yourself can never die. You know, they're trapped in some virtual space and millions of years are passing with no stimulus or input. And, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, we might be the first generation that values, that learns to value the right to die, the right to not exist you know, because, uh, living forever, I think may turn out to be one of the worst things that can happen to a person. Like once achieved digitally, you know, people might look back and say, well, that's actually a pretty terrible outcome. Thoughts on that. Is that something that you've given any thought to?
1: Absolutely. It's actually one of, um, one of the six singularities that I alluded to earlier. It's what I refer to as a social singularity. It's often referred to as the Methuselarity, and, and it's where we cheat death. And, and actually, there are scientists that believe there are people alive today that won't have to die. And uh, because we can use IoT, actually, we can use devices to monitor ourselves, to clean us out, like a car. If you kept on top of damage in a car, it will never have to die. It will never break, and the the same hypothesis applies to human beings. We're obviously much more complex, um, and I and I think that you're right. I think ultimately it's not about whether we want to live forever; it's about choosing when is the right time to die. Death is barbaric and it's deeply unpleasant, and I probably would much prefer a situation where I choose when I want to depart from this universe as opposed to my body deciding
0: for me mm, or mind. So. We're getting to the top of the hour here. I've written down some of the key takeaways. You are, and uh, this has not changed from 15 years ago, substantially smarter than me. So I've dumbed some of this down. Tell me how I did. Number one, AI, most AI today is BS. True or not true? True. True. Yeah. True. Number two, companies don't have machine learning problems, they have decision problems. So they need to work backwards from what is the business decision or the, whatever decision that they need to make, and then begin to work backwards from there.
1: Absolutely. And more importantly, decision problems are require a very, very specific skill to be able to solve them extremely well. They're often referred to as decision scientists or optimization experts.
0: Number three, and here's where I, I may begin to derail more substantially, AI rollout I say rollout, it's already rolling out, but like as it develops will only be optimal or even positive, It, it feels like in your view, if we're holding leaders, business leaders, political leaders accountable for the intentions with which they're developing it or how they're using the information. If the intentions are not positive, which I have real questions about how that's validatable, but in your view, if these are not, if we're not holding them accountable for the intentions in which they were using this information, we're going to get end up in a dark place pretty quick
1: that's right and i think just to build on that we we now know that purpose is becoming more and more important to most businesses and so we need to be able to make sure that we're holding businesses accountable for achieving the purpose And i hope that that collective purpose of all of our enterprises is, is going to make the glorious futures that we could create for humanity
0: for and this is definitely the world according to ryan But is it fair to say digital twins is are basically A/B testing on steroids? Yes. Okay, I'm doing pretty good so far. (laughs) And last but not least, um, you know, so we just went through this like Black Mirror scenario. I think half of our listeners are uh, sitting in their car, terrified right now. It feels to me, you know, you talked about 200 likes, and now the Facebook Borg has got you nailed better than anyone you ever loved ever knew you. I, it seems to me that the ability to learn about people at the individual level is far more developed now already and more developed and powerful than most people realize. I think people are, you know, they're thinking, okay, 2030, I need to have my bunker ready. And it's like, the, you're probably about 15 years too late. You know, I mean, you look at this Cambridge Analytica story and the, what, you know, what Facebook was doing and what was happening with that data. And, you know, this 200 likes thing, that's a pretty low bar. I mean, most people on Facebook are liking, I don't know, I'm not on Facebook, but most people are liking a lot of content. They're not thinking about it too much. You know, if somebody wanted access to that, okay, whatever. And if you're telling me that with 200 likes, a really realistic and accurate picture of a person can be developed, that's a seems like a pretty terrifying here and now reality. Accurate?
1: It, it is accurate. It actually it exemplifies the idea that those companies that get there first, those companies that use AI to understand their business, their customers' To be able to then make decisions, adapt those decisions, those companies are going to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little bit like the story of the United States itself. You know, the U.S. births all of these really successful companies. You look under the hood, and one of the reasons is that it it is its own really large marketplace. So, you know, the, who, the people that came, quote unquote, came to America, there were already people here. I Yes, I definitely realized that audience. Uh, I don't mean to insult anybody. When Westerners, white people, whatever, came to the United States and really colonized it and established it, whoever won that war, you know, and there was a lot of different factions that wanted to control it, was going to control something substantial and powerful that for, it turns out, you know, 200 years would provide a market, a launch pad that would that would and it feels like with tech this is that next big war and that the winners of this are going to be well positioned for I don't know a hundred years or more would you agree with that
1: Indeed yeah I think one of the advantages obviously that, that America China have is massive markets to grow into which is what we don't really have in in Europe but the use of these technologies and other things like blockchain decentralization removes some of those physical boundaries. And you can now start to have companies that span across anywhere around the globe that tap into talent around anywhere in the globe uh, where the market is the globe itself.
0: Okay. So I feel pretty good about my summaries. I feel way less good about the future of the world. You're a smart guy. You were a smart guy then when we first met all those years ago. what What's next for you guys at Citalius? You've been acquired. Like what can folks, uh, I don't know, as the months roll on, um, the next six months, 18 months, what's going on for you guys?
1: We want to scale from the 120 people we were to uh, the 400, 500 people over the next several years and have more and more impact on the world. But I also want to live to my vision, which is to try to create a world of abundance and, and unlock the creative capacity of, of bit on humanity. So I'll be investing my, my new wealth and uh, resources to try to create a world of abundance.
0: And I will be rooting for you. One of the questions I always love to ask, what IoT, and for you, let's expand this to AI as well. Who are some AI and IoT companies out there that you think highly of and you think more people should be talking about? Well, having
1: unlocked some capital now, I asked Google, what do you do if you've made some money? And Google says that you should um, buy time. And uh, buying time usually means trying to make yourself healthier. So I've become very interested in the use of AI, IoT, to monitor one's health. And to actually try to figure out how to live a long, happy life. So any companies that are involved in monitoring uh, health, uh, to be, identify challenges, to solve those challenges, nanobots, et cetera, et cetera, for me is very interesting.
0: Any specific call outs that come to mind for companies you've been especially impressed with?
1: I mean, the Aura Ring is very popular, uh, you know, the, this small device here that, that monitors my, my, my heart rate and temperature and, and things like that. But as more and more of these devices become intrusive, we'll get a much richer uh, view of uh, of how human beings operate and how we respond to nutrition and, and medication and uh, all that good stuff.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned the Aura Ring. It's one of the only wearables that isn't a watch. And I've been tethered to my Garmin watch, uh, a Garmin watch for 10 years now. You know, I do triathlons and things like that. And, you know, I would like to not have to wear a digital watch. It would be nice to be able to to have some flexibility on timepieces. So we're definitely rooting for Aura. Last question related to this ecosystem. You know a lot about AI. You were talking about AI 15 years ago when I first met you. You were very felt to me at that time, very early to the party. Who out here? Give us a name of somebody you think's doing good work in AI that isn't, you know, one of the the household names.
1: I think a lot of a lot of big companies now are. So the, you know, the Amazon's, the Google's. Um, Etc. It's uh, I, I know a handful of startups as well that are doing some very very interesting things. It's hard for me to kind of pinpoint one, but um, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, it depends on how you look at it. We're seeing a lot of the very good AI startups being hoovered up by the the large corporates. Uh, again, it's something maybe I'm a little bit concerned about because they're able to accumulate all of that talent and and now power. But the, the big tech companies that are doing a pretty good job.
0: Last question. For those out there that have enjoyed this episode, they're intrigued, they want to follow along, what's some good places for listeners to be able to follow your story?
1: LinkedIn is a great place. People are also welcome to email me, daniel at Satalia.com. Happy to grab a virtual coffee. I'm also happy to come and do a talk about AI to uh, companies, Lunch and Learns or Brown Bags, to try to get people interested and inspired and educated around these technologies. Okay, there you have it, folks. Daniel, thank you for
0: joining us today. Thanks, Ryan. Over the Air is brought to you by Very. To find out more about us, head over to verypossible.com and make sure to search for Over the Air in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Very, thanks for listening.